Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Thank you for being here. It's good to be back into the groove of things. If you don't know, we already did this once at 9.30, so we're back to our normal schedule. It feels good. Thank you for being here at 11.15. We are, if it's your first time or your first time in a long time, we're in a sermon series entitled The Beatitudes, where we are verse by verse studying Christ for a sermon. And it's nice, it's refreshing, because usually I feel like we are going at breakneck speed But for this sermon series, we get to slow down, we get to slow way down and just take one of these at a time and dissect it and understand it and study it and apply it. Amen? So I've been enjoying it. Who can tell me what I've got up here in my hands? Anybody know what I've got here? Chick-fil-A sauce. Good, good. I, I did reach across the aisle just in case anybody didn't know what this one was. This is a lesser or um, kind of a knockoff, but if, if, this is your, if this is your thing, then it'll be over there for you. But um, since Chick-fil-A is our sponsor and half of the church works there anyway, we're going to go with this one. This is Chick-fil-A's secret sauce, right? Um, waffle fries are good, but this makes waffle fries great, right? Nuggets are good, but Chick-fil-A sauce makes nuggets great. It's just, it's, it's, it's an unwritten rule. Now, it's not so secret because right here on the label, they give us the ingredients for soybean oil, sugar, barbecue sauce, tomato paste, yada, yada, yada. But you know, you know they're leaving out something, right? They're leaving out something. They're not going to tell you everything that's in here. Otherwise, you could go home and make it, Brendan, and then it wouldn't be secret sauce. It's, it's Chick-fil-A's secret sauce. So, um, it's a little bit, it's a little bit, a little bit barbecuey, a little bit honey mustardy. It's all kind of in there, and it just takes a good thing, which Chick Fil A is good. Chick Fil A is good, but this makes Chick Fil A great. This is really the money maker, right? So we've got this available. We've got uh, Zach sauce available. I don't know if you'd even consider this a secret sauce. It's just like um, whatever. We don't need to talk about it. It's not saved, but um, <laughs> this. This right here, it's not, this, you never refer to Zaxby's as Christian chicken, do you? I didn't think so. So this right here, now here we go. This is the thing though. Uh, what I've got here is, is literally gold in a jar, okay? If you did not know, we've got a church member who makes her own Alfredo sauce from scratch for fettuccine Alfredo. Pasta's good, right? I can get with pasta, marinara sauce, Alfredo sauce, whatever. But if you haven't had this on pasta, then you have not had fettuccine Alfredo. This is a secret sauce of Serena Salmon's. Anybody ever been to the Salmon's house and been blessed? Your life has been blessed and changed by what I have in my hand. You know what I'm saying? It's good. It's just, it's different. It's its own thing. If you ever wonder why Serena's glowing, this is, this is the reason why. This is why she's back there. She knows what I'm saying. This is why she's going. This is why they are, are, are making such beautiful babies. And this is why this is their secret to their adoption success and everything. I mean, it's just 
the secret sauce. And don't ask her for the recipe because she, she can't give it. Anybody have a, a grandmother or a family recipe, an heirloom of sorts? And when you have people over and it tastes wonderful and you've got guests that say, or, or relatives or friends, whoever you're having over, they're like, oh my goodness, I've got to have this recipe. What is in this? What is making it so good? I have to have it. I have to make it at home. And they're like, no, what? <laughs> No, why would I? No, we're not, we don't hand out the, the recipes. We don't tell you the secret sauce around here. My grandma went to her grave with that recipe and it is not coming out of the lockbox, right? Um, so secret sauce, it's, it's, it's what, it's, it's the thing, it's the element, it's the, it's the extra that takes anything from good and makes it great, right? Chick-fil-A is good, but this makes Chick-fil-A great. If you're into Zaxby's, Zaxby's is good, but this makes Zaxby's great. The Christian life is good, but the beatitude we're going to study today makes the Christian life great. It is the secret sauce. So now that we're all thinking about lunch, let's stand, let's read our verse. Uh, We're going to read one verse today. Most Sundays we've read the whole passage, so I think it's in your brains by now. We're going to read one verse and keep going today for time's sake. But Matthew 5, 7, blessed, help me out, are the... Good job. You guys are much more awake than 930. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive what? Mercy. 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 You guys may be seated. Mercy is the secret sauce of the Christian life. Now, a few notes, a few notes about mercy. This is the first of the Beatitudes. We have a shift here. This is the first of the Beatitudes that shifts to horizontal instead of vertical, right? We had poor in spirit. Poor in spirit in relation to who? God. We had mourning. Mourning in relation to who? In the eyes of a holy God. We had, uh, what's next? Meekness, right? Strength under control. In relation to who? God. We had hunger and thirst after righteousness in relation to who God is, in relation to who God is. But now we've got a shift in Jesus's sermon. He's making a transition and he's going, okay, now that you've understood poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, righteousness, it's time to take these beatitudes horizontally. Now, instead of, instead of the believer, instead of uh, the believer's need, it shifts, shifts the focus to his neighbor's need. This is an attitude that you should be towards others. This is a mentality that you should take on. This is a persona that you should clothe yourself with. Mercy, being a person of mercy. I have to be a person of mercy before I can extend mercy. You have to know it. You have to experience it for yourself. It's one of those things just like this. It's like a secret sauce. You got to taste it to really know what you got. And once you've tasted it, it's hard to keep it to yourself. That's how mercy is. It's the secret sauce. And let me just say, these beatitudes are tricky, right? As, as we're moving through them and we're gaining ground and we're coming up with new ones and we're discovering new ones, we all have different beatitudes that could be our favorite, right? Anybody taking a personality test or a disc assessment or a strength finder or one of those uh, Enneagrams, right? 
we, we've, we learn about ourselves. We take all these questions and it kind of puts us in different boxes, different numbers, whatever. And we can say, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm on the Enneagram, I'm a three-wing four or whatever you may be. Or on the disc assessment, I'm this, this, and this. And these are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. But the Beatitudes are no such thing. See, these, what Jesus is describing are not the gifts of the Spirit. No, 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 that's Romans 12. This is Matthew 5. Okay, do you know what I'm saying? In other words, we don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to say, oh, well, I'm more of a poor in spirit, wing, mourner. Uh, so I, I kind of do that thing. And I'm not really so much of a mercy person. I kind of leave that for, you know, uh, the, you know, the other people who are much more empathetic and compassionate. Yeah, that's, I'm more of a prophet. You know, I call things out. I see black and white. I see truth and error, yada, yada, yada. And so mercy is great. And um, that's, that's one of those beatitudes. Yeah, that's in there. That's in the list. And yeah, I've got like... Um, you know, we have a whole separate department of the church that kind of deals with mercy, and uh, it's just not my, no, 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 no. The Beatitudes are attitudes that we should all be. It's not a personality test. It's not you pick your favorite, and I'll uh, dole out the rest among you. The Beatitudes are all-inclusive, and they should affect us. And so when we approach mercy, when we approach this first horizontal beatitude where we're addressing the needs of others in relation to who we are, not addressing our needs, now it's time to extend, it's time to face outward mercy. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. But it's absolutely necessary. It's the secret sauce. All of us have to be mercy people. Why? Why? Because it causes the ordinary to become extraordinary. Now, the Christian life is not ordinary, so don't misunderstand me. It's great. really is great. We get to, we have the opportunity to stand up for truth, right? We get to speak out against error, right? We get to hold the Word of God as our highest authority, as, as literally inspired and without error, we get to label false doctrines and false teachers. We get to protect our flock. We get to admonish and correct. We get these beautiful things called core values and convictions that guide the way we operate. We have the opportunity to stand as righteous people and for righteousness. We get to call out this nation's gross immoralities like we have been over the past few weeks and humanistic ideologies. But wait! Wait, press pause, stop. If that's all we're doing, then we're missing out. If that's our only mode of operation, if we just see this world as black and white, right and wrong, truth and error, we only see with holy tunnel vision, then we've left something behind. We're missing out. We're missing the secret sauce. What we've got is good, but it could be great. The Christian life is good. It's a wonderful wonderful relationship with Jesus. But if we're missing out on mercy, we're not getting all that's available to us. Mercy makes a difference. We get to experience something so good and make it wonderful. It's our secret sauce. It's supposed to flavor everything we do. So let's just stick with the sauce analogy. You guys okay with that? I'll stick with the sauce analogy. I'm going to give you three points of how mercy is our secret sauce and will be done. Number one, it seasons our salvation. Number two, it marinates our mission. 
And number three, it enriches our relationships. If you're taking notes, that's what you've got to write down. It seasons our salvation, mercy does. And you know that. We'll get to it in a second. It marinates our mission, Connor. Everything that decided church is, really, funnels back to mercy. And then it enriches our relationships. And we'll talk about that in a second. But let's pray and we'll begin this morning. Jesus, just help your word to be clear. Take it from our head and press this upon our hearts that we are all mercy people. Regardless of how you found us, you did not hold back mercy because of anything we did or did not do. You extended it freely and therefore so must we. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mercy seasons our salvation. That's number one. And if you want a good working definition for mercy, it's the ability to forgive someone you have the power to punish. Mercy is the ability to forgive someone you have the power to punish. And a lot of us who grew up in church, we might think grace and mercy are the same thing. And they sound a lot alike. And they're twin brothers. They're always involved in the same things, but mercy and grace are a little bit different because mercy is not getting something you deserve. Mercy is God sparing you from hell. That's mercy. It's not getting what you rightfully deserve. Whereas grace is the eternal life. It's the home in heaven. It's the relationship with Jesus. That's getting something we don't deserve. That makes sense? Do I need to run it back? Mercy, not getting something you do deserve, hell. Think, when you think mercy, think hell. When you think grace, think heaven. That's a simple way to divide the two and keep them separate, but keep them cohesive. And the thing about mercy is that it is so natural for us to receive it, right? We all want mercy, but it's so hard to give out. It's so hard to give out. Why? Because we want fairness. We want right and wrong. We are Christians. We're supposed to stand up for the truth. We're supposed to call out error. We're supposed to label false doctrines. We're supposed to stand up against wickedness. And so it's easy to be just and fair and black and white and truth and right and wrong and yada, yada, yada. But if we leave the secret sauce behind, we are, well, we're just, we're not experiencing and treating our salvation like we could or like we should. It's the secret sauce. Let me ask you a question. No matter how good or moral or religious you think you are, good, moral, religious, you think that you're crossing all the T's, you're dotting all the I's, When you approach heaven's gate, which is, you know, figurative, we don't even really know what it's going to actually transpire like, but if you were to approach the pearly gates, right, would you, as that good, moral, religious, ethical person, would you say, all right, God, give it to me straight. I want your justice. Give me what I deserve. Who's signing up for that? Um, Not a single one of us. And I wonder why, even though you're religious, huh? Even though you're a really good, moral, ethical person, you don't want God's justice. Why? Because we all know, we all know that no matter how good we could be, it is not enough to cut it. We all know that no matter how religious or ethical or moral we may 
muster up. It's not going to stand a chance. We're, we, we would never brag about the works we have done and ask for God's justice. None of us want God's justice. What do we want? What do we want? What do we want? When you're, when you're accused of something that you didn't do, you want justice. But when you're accused of something you did do, what do you want? What do you need? You need mercy. You need mercy. Close. Grace is close. You need mercy. None of us want justice. We, we want and desire and need mercy. And so our, salva- our entire salvation is seasoned with mercy. Titus chapter 3, 4, and 5. Titus 3, 4, and 5. Let's read this together. We read it a few weeks ago at baptism. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own what? Mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the spirit. Our salvation is seasoned with mercy. If it weren't for God's mercy, none of us would have a chance. None of us would have a chance. See, God, the God who had every right to punish us and send us to hell chose to extend mercy. Jesus Christ, understand this, Jesus Christ is the mercy of God. Mercy isn't just a concept or an idea or, a, or, or just a nice thought. Mercy is a person. Mercy is a person who, who, who was God, who wrapped himself in humanity, who became our sin and our shame and our suffering and took our hell for us. That's mercy. It's Jesus. If we got what we deserve, if we, if we were to face a holy justice from a holy God, we would be wholly separated from God forever. But thank God for his mercy. It seasons everything. It's the secret. If mercy is the secret sauce, forgiveness is the main ingredient. It's impossible to separate forgiveness from mercy. They're, they're related. They're, they're, they go together. If mercy is the secret sauce, forgiveness is the main ingredient God forgave. Because of Jesus, God forgave. Oh, and by the way, mercy is unlimited on, in God's house. It's on tap. Mercy's on tap. Mercy is not one of these limited menu, come get it while you can, while supplies last, offer. It's not that type of deal. Once we've tasted of the mercy, the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12 that we have access from here on out. Hebrews 4.12, let's read it together. It says that we are allowed, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, the twin brother, right, Normie? There he is. The throne of grace that we may receive what? Mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's on tap. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 say, well, let's just read it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, what? Never come to an end. They are new every morning. Not only do you have free access, but the same mercy that saved you sanctifies you. You need that mercy, right? I need that mercy day in and day out. I need it new. I need it fresh every morning. And that's how it's available. It's on tap. Mercy's on tap in God's house. It seasons our salvation. It's everything to do with our salvation. Number two, it marinates our mission. If you've stuck around here for any length of time, 
You know we've got core values. One of those core values being receive freely, give freely. Sounds an awful lot like blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. If we receive freely, we need to give of it freely. Mercy is one of our core values. Receive freely, give freely. And man, have we received a lot from God. We've received mercy unlimited from God. So who are we to hold it back, to hold mercy hostage? We're supposed to let it flow through us freely, Lloyd. Just let it flow, let it run, let it go. You know what happens when we as believers dam up mercy in our lives? When we dam up mercy, we become constipated and judgy and septic. How's that for a word picture? (laughs) It's true. We all know those. We all have rubbed shoulders with those type of Christians who've received, you would never know it, but they have received of the mercy of God, but they hold it hostage. They, they would rather just stick over here on the side of justice, on the side of right and wrong, truth and error, which there's nothing wrong with. In fact, to understand mercy, you have to understand justice. For if you don't understand justice, you don't know how much you've been forgiven of. Like one of my favorite commentators, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, if I, if I did not know how much Christ had forgiven me, I wouldn't know whether to shake his hand or fall down at his feet. You have to know justice. You do. You got to know the consequences and and rightful punishment for your sin in order to understand mercy, in order to take it seriously. And I wonder if those Christians who are constipated and judgy and septic, I wonder if they've understood the consequences of their own sin before God. You know what I mean? Because for those of us who get it, Man, for those of us who really understand how much we've been forgiven, we got to let that thing loose. We got to spread on other people. Why would you go to Serena's house and have the secret sauce and not tell 10 people? You can't. It's impossible not to. It's impossible not to. So not only is mercy one of our core values, guess what the aftertaste of mercy is? The aftertaste of mercy is joy. How about you? How are you doing? If you've experienced the mercy of God, doesn't that bring joy to your life? Doesn't that, I mean, that's our whole theme this year, right? We've talked, we just played a video about it. We've seen the other video about it at the beginning of the year. It's it's joy season, right? And joy season is what allows us as Christians to change the game. And do you know that it's impossible to really experience joy if you haven't experienced mercy? Mercy and joy are connected just as much as mercy and forgiveness. Let me prove that to you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3, 6, and 8. I know I'm skipping around a lot, but it's for time. You can go back and read the full passage if you would like to. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his what? Great mercy. Remember that. Remember that. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Verse 6. In this, what? In mercy, it's in mercy that you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been given grief by various trials. Verse 8, he comes back to it again, Peter does. And he says, though now you have not seen him, you love him. Though now you do not, did he just say the same thing twice? Whatever. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with what? Joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Mercy 
is what allows us and releases joy in our lives. It's the aftertaste of mercy. If joy is going to be my game changer in quarter four of 2020, I must become a dealer of mercy. A dealer. You got to deal in it. You got to wheel and deal it and pass it out and experience it for yourself and then let it flow. Let it go. Everybody knows the parable of the unmerciful servant. It's your homework for this week. Matthew 18, starting in verse 23 through the end of the chapter, what happens? A master wants to settle up. He calls one of his servants who owes him a lot of money. In U.S. dollars, it could be somewhere around $600,000. He can't pay it. He doesn't have it. He needs what? Justice or mercy? He needs mercy. And so he falls down on his feet. He begs the master to forgive him. The master says, fine, fine, fine. All right, all right, all right. I won't give you what you deserve. I'll have mercy on you. I'll call it even. He gets to save his family. He gets to save his house, his possessions, everything. And what does he do? He literally turns around out of the master's presence and goes and finds somebody who owes him the equivalent of $400. $400. Does he have mercy on his servant? Throws him in jail, takes his family, leaves him destitute. That is what it's like to be a Christian who has experienced mercy but does not extend mercy. You're like the unmerciful servant. I don't think any of us want that said about us or, you, or want that picture painted of us. We don't want to be that guy. All of us just want to give that guy something. You know what I mean? How could you do that? How could you experience so much mercy? And you just need to extend a little bit of it, and you can't do it. You can't find it in your heart. That's, that's why we have such animosity towards fellow brothers and sisters. It's really sad who don't, who just live over here on their island of justice. They want their waffle fries, which are fine. They want their Zaxby's, which is fine. They want their pasta, which is fine. But they don't have any sauce on it. There's nothing going on. It's not fun. It's not interesting. It's just ordinary. It's plain. They're right in living their lives that way. But us over here, it's, it's, it's so much more fulfilling when we've got the sauce flowing. You know what I mean? It's better that way. It takes good and makes it great. I'm just, I'm just saying, mercy is the secret sauce. Number three, mercy enriches our relationships. It seasons us our, our, our salvation. It marinates our mission. I mean, everything we're about at Decided Church falls back into the bucket of mercy. It enriches our relationships. The basis for this claim you want to know why? It's James 2.13, probably the most well-known verse on mercy in the Bible, James 2.13. It enriches our relationships, and the first, the first place we have to put it in park is for us. It enriches, did you know when you extend mercy to other people, it enriches your soul? Let me show you this. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. In other words, If you're not a person of mercy and you just kind of ignore it and you just choose to live your life not extending mercy, guess what? You're going to be judged the same way. It's kind of like the golden rule. 
Treat others as you would want to be treated. If you're not going to extend mercy, guess what? You're not going to get it either. Why? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. It does not eliminate judgment. It does not cancel out judgment. No, judgment is important because it allows you to see how, what truly mercy is, but it always trumps judgment. Mercy always trumps judgment. It always brings ordinary to extraordinary. It always brings good to great. Mercy does that. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, we've, you know the trigger word, and this could be slightly political, so I'm sorry, whatever. But you know the whole thing in our nation is social justice. Social justice, right? Everybody's about it. Everybody's plastering it everywhere, whatever, yada, yada, yada. And I'm wondering, do we really know what we're asking? If you really want to believe in social justice, if you really want to follow that train of thought and extrapolate that to the end of your life, guess what social justice leaves you with? hell. If you want justice, if this world and this humanity wants justice for each and every individual of every color, every race, every creed, every social and economic background, we're all going to one place and it's separation from God, eternity in a real lake of fire called hell. That, if you want social justice, that's what it is. Christians, we're not called to social justice. We're called to social... Oh social mercy. Where are those t-shirts? Where are those Facebook statuses? Where are those signs and posters and hashtags? Hey, if you want social justice to be your thing, by all means, but I know what I deserve. I don't want justice. I need social mercy over here. You can be on that island if you want to, but I need social mercy. I need divine mercy, and then I need to socially mercy it out all over the place. What does mercy do for your soul? Your soul is nourished. Proverbs 19.11, your soul is nourished when you show mercy. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's what? Glory to overlook an offense. In other words, you get brownie points when you're handing out mercy. It's to your glory. Mercy nourishes your soul. So you get a chance to build up that. You get a chance to build up your wisdom. You get a chance to build up your patience. Mercy is connected to both wisdom. It's connected to patience. If you want verses for that, look in James 3.17 and Ephesians 4.2. Mercy is connected to wisdom and patience. It's connected to forgiveness, right? It's connected to a lot of things. It's sauce. You can't isolate sauce. It's just, it runs all over everything. It's connected everywhere. If you don't have mercy, then what are you doing? So what's the practical part? What does mercy, okay, it enriches our relationships. We get, the, we get the us part. How does it enrich our relationships with others? Let me give you some practical things and we'll be done. Mercy bears others' burdens. Galatians 6.2, write it down, study it. If you're in our light groups, you will be studying all these verses that we're skipping. Mercy gives people second chances. Look at Romans 12, 17, and 18. Not only does it give people second chances, it's patient with their quirks. Repay no one evil for evil. That's justice, and that is not our place. We're called to live over here in the land of mercy. We're supposed to give people second chances. 
Why? Because you've been given 10 of them. I mean, I know what I've been given, and you don't look that different from me. So you've been given 10 too. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You know, we got people that are like sandpaper on our personality. Maybe it's their political ideology. Maybe it's just the way they talk, the way they carry themselves, their whatever, their hygiene. It could be, it could be any number of things, and it just grates against us, and it's hard to show mercy, but we are called to mercy. It's, hey, it, it bears each other's burdens. It gives people second chances. It's patient with people's quirks. Mercy thinks the best about people. Mercy forgives the offender. Mercy frees the debtor. Mercy values relationships over rules. The perfect case study just to wrap all of this up, which won't turn there, but I'm going to tell you the story of David and Mephibosheth. Saul had a son who got loose. One of David's generals was took it upon himself to kill all of Saul's sons so that David would never have to worry about the throne. One of them got away. He was Mephibosheth. He was crippled. Somebody helped him escape. And it was much later in David's reign upon the throne of Israel that he found out that Saul had a son. And that son could very well vouch for the throne if he wanted to. But what did David do? As the king, as the one who had the power to punish, he chose to forgive. That's, that's the definition of mercy. It's, it's the ability to forgive when you have the power to punish. So David sends for Mephibosheth. He comes into the kingdom of Israel, and David treats this guy like his own son. He gives him a place at the table. He gives him all the rights and privileges and honors of a son of the king. That's mercy. It's not giving someone what they deserve. And so Mephibosheth is escorted into David's kingdom as a son. Mercy must be an action form. It cannot simply be an idea or a concept. It's a commitment. This is what I'm asking for each one of us. What do you do with mercy? I'm not really a merciful person. Too bad. These are all attitudes that we should be. Learn it. Get good at it. If you want to work on your mercy, remember, work on your patience and work on your wisdom because they're all connected. What I'm asking us to do this week is commit commit an act of premeditated mercy, not murder. <laughs> I'm not calling anybody to do that. If you want to kill somebody, kill them with mercy. Commit this week an act of premeditated mercy mercy. Don't you have people in your life that need a second chance? Don't we all have people in our life that need grace? They need the patience. They need a second chance. They need us to think the best about them. They need mercy. We are so busy to run around and dole out justice to people as if we have received justice, but thank God we didn't. We need to be busy about running out and extending mercy because we have received mercy by the hand of God through the person of Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? Commit an act of premeditated mercy. I hear what you're saying, preacher. But you got to be careful. You don't want people getting the wrong idea that they can take advantage of you. You don't want people walking all over you. You don't want people to have the license to go out and do wrong things against you because you're just so generous and forgiving, right? You got you to forgive up to a point. 
Like, can't, can't you go overboard with mercy? Yes, look at the cross. Yes, you can go overboard with mercy. How in the world do you think you received it? The mercy displayed on the cross was overboard. It was extravagant. It was too much. It was reckless. It was extravagant. It was too forgiving, too generous, too crazy, too illogical. When Peter was trying to be Mr. Wise Guy with Christ, asking how many times he should forgive, he assigned the Hebrew number of perfection and completion, seven. Assuming that he would impress Jesus with his generous answer, to which Jesus replied, 70 times seven. Can you go overboard with mercy? Yes, that's the whole point. Folks, mercy is the secret sauce. Just as God would have been totally holy and right and just to let sin run its course and to let us all be eternally separated, so we could live our Christian lives exacting judgment, deciphering right from wrong, truth from error, calling out people, but God's word shows us another way. It says, yes, but God extended mercy to you. And you've tasted it. So serve it. How can you, how can I receive the mercy of a holy God and not share it, not extend it, not let it flow freely. Mercy is the secret sauce. It seasons our salvation. It marinates our mission over here. I don't know about other churches, but it marinates this mission over here and it enriches our relationships. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I have two questions for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Two questions about mercy. Have you received it? I don't think anybody here is running quickly to heaven's gates to ask God for justice. No matter how good you may think you are, how moral, how ethical, how religious, none of us want God's justice because we know, we know, not only does the Bible tell us, but we already know that we've messed up too much. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We don't measure up. We don't meet the standard. We don't need justice. We need mercy. Have you received it? It's free. Remember, at God's house, it's on tap. It's available. It's not limited. It freely flows from the cross to you. Have you received it? Do you know that you've messed up before a holy God? It's called sin. And sin has consequences. Remember, it's important to know how much we've been forgiven. We've been forgiven from eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But Jesus Christ, who became mercy, chose to forgive us not on the basis of our righteousness, but according to his mercy, his great and loving kindness. Have you received it? Just accept it by faith, and it's yours. That's what the Bible says. Number two, believer, is there fruit from the flow of mercy in your life? Is there fruit... Is there physical, literal evidence of the flow of mercy in your life? 
I'd hate to preach to a crowd this morning of septic, judgy, constipated, mercy hoarders. You're laughing, but you all know somebody like that. Don't be like that. Well, what am I supposed to do, Jim? Am I supposed to give them, forgive them again? Am I supposed to just look over their offense again? All right, Peter. If you want to call it seven times and then call it quits, that's fine. But just don't forget how you have received mercy from God. Mercy is supposed to be overboard. It doesn't make sense for you not to give it out just as much as you have been given. Receive freely, give freely. Commit an act of premeditated mercy this week and watch God take that secret sauce and bless you in the doing so. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.